0: TELUS International Studios, where customer experience meets digital transformation.
1: You are very welcome back to TELUS International Studios. I'm your host, Patrick Hawhey, and this is a particularly exciting episode of the show because we are taking a look under the bonnet of one of the most interesting and fast-growing companies in the world right now. That is Spotify. Most of us are familiar with Spotify's platform and how the company leverages digital technologies to deliver a really strong user experience. But what about the technology that Spotify applies to make the company itself run more efficiently, to automate certain tasks and processes to ensure that Spotify team members are doing only the most high value tasks possible, all of which in turn feeds into an enhanced user experience. Well, that is what I find out all about in this episode of TELUS International Studios. My guest is Sydney Madison Prescott, Spotify's Global Head of Intelligent Automation. Sydney is such a fascinating person. The road she took to the world of technology was very different to what you might expect. And we hear all about that story. She has also had some very positive experiences with mentors throughout her career. And she explains why. And Sydney also shares her thoughts on the future of technologies like uh, AI, machine learning, automation, quantum computing, and lots more. If you have been following the series so far and like what you hear, please hit follow on Spotify or subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or review. So let's meet our guest. Sydney Madison Prescott, Global Head of Intelligent Automation at Spotify. Welcome to TELUS International Studios.
0: Thank you. I am excited to be here today.
1: I'm looking forward to hearing all about how you got into technology. And I know you're an incredibly passionate advocate for technology, but I know it wasn't what you started at. And I want to find out how you got into technology from from where you started. But first of all, let's just start at where you are today. I'm fascinated by your title, as I'm sure many people are. What does the Global Head of Intelligent Automation at Spotify do? (laughs)
0: Great question. So I am leading a team of engineers uh, and also uh, solution architects uh, on a global scale to build out an intelligent automation footprint at Spotify. And what that entails is looking at uh, several different technologies. So we leverage robotic process automation, machine learning, and artificial intelligence in order to build efficiencies into the all of the different business processes that we do today within Spotify. And so my team sits within the financial engineering organization, but we have a reach to uh, all of the different business teams at Spotify. And we're focused on looking at what are all of the very manual, repetitive, repetitive tedious tasks that we do as Spotifyers, and how can we automate those tasks to drive greater efficiency uh, greater data quality and really ensure that our employees can focus on more value-added tasks at the end of the day uh, for, as a whole around the organization
1: okay so this is basically streamlining and and being very smart about how spotify is run as an organization as opposed to anything to do with the platform itself that we would pick up and use.
0: Absolutely. So it is, it is from an organizational standpoint, how do we streamline and make the, uh, the, I'll say the back end of the work that we do as efficient as possible. But in that, we are also uh, enabling faster time to market and uh, things of that nature, which do come out on the on the application side.
1: Absolutely. Maybe to just sort of illustrate everything that you just said there, is there an example you could give us about your job at work? Is there something Is there something that people were doing in Spotify that you recognized that there was an opportunity for automation here, giving them higher value tasks in that case? Uh, do you have an example?
0: I do, yes. So we are working today as a team with our uh, ad operations uh, employees. And what we're really looking at is, how can we take the tasks that the team does today and how can we make those more efficient? Uh, one example is uh, when we go into the Spotify application and we look at all of our different audio ads that run uh, within the application, we have to test those ads to ensure that they, the integrity, uh, the audio integrity is there. And so this is a process where we take each, uh, Add and we test to make sure the audio, the visual, uh, that everything is up to spec for that particular uh, advertisement. This is a manual process, but we have been able to automate this process and leverage robots to actually check each each advertisement to make sure that it's running properly, uh, that it is showing the the right or the correct specs in terms of the visuals, and that the audio levels uh, are appropriate. So this is a, a really perfect example of something that you would, wouldn't think that humans are doing today. But in reality, it's a very integral part of the responsibilities of the team.
1: Yeah, very interesting. Um- And it must be hugely fulfilling to be able to take a a sort of a wide view of everything that everybody in Spotify is doing and spot the opportunities to actually make it clever, smarter, I guess.
0: It is. It's really fascinating to weave together uh, all of the different business processes that really make up uh, how we do work at Spotify and how we deliver uh, on our product. And so one of the, the greatest ach- aspects of this role is getting a high level overview of all of the different business units, their responsibilities, and how those are interconnected, and then taking a look at ways that we can optimize uh, the processes of those teams, both from an upstream level and also downstream, to really make, again, efficiency the key, I would say, value proposition of the deliverables for my team.
1: OK, in a couple of moments, I'd like to dive a little bit more into some of the technology that you use some of the technology at play um, in, in your role, because it's so fascinating. But uh, first of all, tell me how you got into technology. I know you didn't start in tech and I think, am I right, it was an internship that changed everything for you?
0: It did, yes. Yeah. So I started out as a uh, philosophy major when I was in college. And I was looking to go to law school and I happened to have a very fortuitous moment where uh, one of my peers in, in university uh, pointed out to me an opportunity for an internship. And that is kind of, uh, I would say where the, the tide turned. Uh, I took an internship within configuration and asset management. And I quickly was fascinated by all of the different nuances of, uh, of the role and what it means to work as a technologist on a global scale. And within that role, it was a really wonderful learning experience because I was able to to help facilitate uh, work for different teams and really, again, understand how those teams work together uh, at an enterprise level to really produce uh, deliverables. And that is where I really fell in love with uh, technology and also with uh, really the processes that we do to really innovate uh, and redefine how we can deliver value uh, at at a firm level.
1: So, so in that in that internship in that firm, were there certain types of techs or at play? Were there certain platforms um, that were being used to achieve the goals?
0: Yes. So, I was working specifically with uh, disparate databases and really looking at what is the the integrity of the data within these specific databases. And then more importantly, how are these databases communicating with one another? And can we trust that the way that the data is extracted, transformed, loaded, can we trust that that is uh, accurate, that it's timely? And so one of the things facilitating this work that I quickly began to realize is that we had a lot of systems that were uh, supposed to be integrated together and And it was assumed that that all of the timing uh, of those aforementioned aspects were correct, and they really were not. So we went about a really first a fact-finding mission, and then really from uh, understanding the attributes that we should have been collecting within those different systems and understanding the ways that the timing was off, we then started to think through, okay, how do we really facilitate uh, a a better connection? How do we facilitate better integrations between these different systems? And so that was um, really interesting to me because it taught me a lot about the assumptions that we have as technologists about uh, pre-existing systems so systems that uh, are a part of the enterprise before we particular, particularly work for a company. And it also taught me a lot about uh, change management and about really thinking through how you can bring others along on this kind of journey of digital transformation within a firm.
1: And I know one of your your mentors uh, through through your career, I think you pointed out saying that he taught you how to tell a, a compelling story about your team's work, and we might come back to that in a few minutes, because I think no matter what job industry role you were in, being able to tell a compelling story about what you are doing, what your team is doing is such a valuable uh, quality. So we'll come back to that in, in a couple of moments time. So from from that um, internship, then you had sort of found your path. So where did you go from there?
0: So from there, I worked uh, really focusing on data quality uh, and the integrity of data. And it's, it gave me a passion that I still have today in relation to data visualizations. How do we uh, create data that will be a valuable asset to our business stakeholders as technologists um, and fundamentally reminding ourselves that at the end of the day, we really need to be able to have tangible evidence of the value that we're creating uh, with all of our different automated solutions. And so as I honed that that perspective uh, within data quality and governance, I had an opportunity to then uh, complete a proof of concept uh, on a, a very new technology, which was robotic process automation. And that is where I began to get into intelligent automation. Uh, so through running that, that proof of concept, I learned about robotic process automation. Uh, I began to learn about all of the different tools that make up intelligent automation uh, as a, a, an industry. And I also spec out the tools that existed already uh, around the world in relation to uh, driving efficiencies, driving productivity within teams. And that really led me into uh, my, my current role, uh, really standing up and scaling out and maturing uh, Intelligent Automation Centers of Excellence.
1: Well, one of the words that come up and I really define what you've done is is this word intelligence and intelligent um, automation. How do you define intelligence? What does it mean in this context in your own view?
0: Great question. So there are a lot of different definitions for intelligence. From my perspective, in terms of the the team that we have today and the, the technology that we are leveraging, we really are looking at The distinction between is a particular automation cognitive in that it can can facilitate uh, different ways of learning, quote unquote, uh, and is it able to recognize different characters? Does it have spatial recognition, Uh, things of that nature, Now, there's a separate part of the intelligent automation piece, which is also the robotic process automation. And those robots are not cognitive, uh, meaning that they cannot execute anything that has not been predefined in their developer built workflows. And so where intelligent automation really comes together is we start to think about the robots that can only execute on their predefined workflows and combining those with uh, artificial intelligence or with machine learning engines and that combination of of tool sets and uh, different ways ways of basically computing, that is how we get to the intelligent automation piece. So it really is the, the amalgamation of these different tools coming together to be able to facilitate uh, a specific set of business outcomes, which we would typically relegate to, uh, let's say, human intelligence rather than a machine.
1: Well one of the questions that I know it kind of comes up in, in when we talk about this field is when it comes to machine learning algorithms are they really learning or are they just memorizing and I guess can, can we tell the difference between the two really
0: mm, I think that's a great question so if we think about it it really comes down to how you how you really break out the different categories of kind of machine learning deep learning artificial intelligence so If you think about machine learning, it really is a subset of artificial intelligence. And so it's, prov- it's basically creating systems that can, uh, have the ability to learn and improve over time with experience. Now, machine learning models need a large amount of data, uh, very, very much like the, the human brain. We need a lot of data continuously, uh, over a lifetime in order to build up our understanding of the nuances of, say, a chair, right? Or the concept of, um, education, the concept of computers. And so machines are very much the same. Uh, We are able to basically build up their understanding of a particular concept through the amount of data and really also curating the ability for the machine to curate that data is very important. I think one of the other things I would say is in terms of learning versus memorization, I believe it's a bit of both. And we do this as humans as well, where whereby we learn quite often by memorizing. And it, it's very interesting. Even if we think that we aren't memorizing something, we are. Uh, so for example, memorizing where a particular uh, Starbucks is located on your corner or you know memorizing um, the, the way to get to a specific location that is a form of learning and I believe that machine learning can can basically facilitate the same levels of understanding whereby it's a it's a component of uh, a little bit of, memorization, but that memorization actually enables the machine to then learn different patterns, uh, learn different potential outcomes that will will uh, help to solve problems. And so uh, the last part of that is when we start moving into another subset of machine learning, which is really your deep learning. And that's really where we are uh, attempting to create a very similar computer network that mimics the neural networks of humans. And so that deep learning, this is where we get into the potential ability to delve deeper into a little bit less memorization and a little bit more learning of patterns, again, from a a wide variety of data that is fed into that particular uh, neural learning network.
1: It's such a fascinating area, and I know I said a few minutes ago you kind of you're now very far from where you started out. But hearing you speak there, I, I do get the whole philosophy major thing because the stru- the type of thinking, the structure of thinking, I would guess is quite similar. There's a there's
0: patterns there. There are yes, it, one of the most fascinating things that I found out as I moved. Uh, from being a philosopher, and I, I would still consider myself a philosopher, but a philosopher slash technologist, is really yeah. the the focus on logic. Um, it's very, very fascinating. So the, the logic aspect is extremely similar between the humanities and uh, technology, specifically with the logic that we actually use to code. So, we use if-then statements, which is something that philosophers base a lot of their uh, logic and and argumentation off of. So, there's a a lot of similarities between the fields. And I think that is also why we have a lot of uh, ethicists and philosophers that are moving closer into the world of technology
1: yeah absolutely i guess they were the, they were the original technologists to, to, to in some ways i guess way, way back when i've got a couple of questions in from the team who know a lot about more about this stuff than i do and i think you're going to appreciate some of the questions so first one is more, most AI applications to date have focused on software products like image recognition or targeting advertising or content evaluation. And for that reason, AI's presence in the physical world remains limited. That being said, how far are we from being able to really change the way people do things such as self-driving cars, robots, construction, etc.?
0: Mm, that's a great question. I believe that we are still I I think that we're making strides, but I think that we are still a a ways off. Um, And that is primarily because of the challenge that we face as humans when we start to attempt to um, build something in our image, so to speak. And we have this this inherent problem, which is we are limited by the fact that we don't know what we don't know, uh, which is a kind of a logical conundrum even when we think about the way that today uh, human beings understand the brain, right, how it works, we do understand it to some extent. But when you talk to uh, neurologists, you talk to doctors, you quite often will hear a disclaimer that, you know, we don't really, we aren't exactly sure why, you know, XYZ works like this, right? So we have an understanding, but we We are very aware of the things that we currently don't know, or we we aren't sure of, but we do not have visibility into um, understanding what we don't that we don't know what we don't actually know. If that makes sense, Um, and I (laughs) think, yeah, (laughs) and when we start (laughs) to think about that, that does start to um, define how we build out these self-driving cars, how we build out autonomous robots. I believe as we continue to evolve our, our knowledge, the level of understanding that we have specifically about human neurological capabilities and doing that through scientific research evaluation, I believe that that research will fundamentally benefit uh, the innovations on the the um, technology uh, side. So it, I think that challenge is present, where whereby as our knowledge builds, we then build that into uh, how we conceptualize these different tools. But it's it's still it's it's ever growing. And the progress that we're going to make is that it's always going to be slightly offset uh, by that, those additional layers of understanding that we just don't have um, in relation to human cognition um, and, and how we can actually build a computer system that, in essence, mimics human aptitude for learning and adapting in a given environment.
1: Yeah. It's such a fascinating time. Um, another question. Is it a problem that the largest players in AI are primarily software or, and advertising companies rather than companies that manufacture things? Or are these tasks inherently harder?
0: Mm, uh, no, I, I do not believe it's a problem. I actually believe we need synergy between both uh, those kind of, I'll say, software software companies, and the manufacturing firms. Uh, I believe that synergy is what's going to allow us to achieve the next iteration of artificial intelligence improvements. Um, And when we think about it, it's been quite a conversation, I would say over the last few years, about the importance of every company uh, being at the forefront of technology. And almost every company must be a technology company if they hope to remain uh, a, a, an industry leader in their given area. And so part of that, I think, is whether it's a software company, whether it's a manufacturing company, how do we actually bring those two together? Uh, because they're they're both, both sides of a different coin. They are both attempting to solve complex business problems um, through the use of different innovative technologies. And so... I believe it's less of a question of which tasks are harder, whether it's software or manufacturing, and more of a question of what is the best combination of the two uh, that that can help us successfully remediate business problems.
1: Yeah, that's a, a really good answer, actually. What work is being done to ensure that AI is more inclusive of things like different accents and dialects and cultures?
0: There is a a lot of work that's being done um, on a technological feasibility and execution standpoint, but I believe that there is a fundamental change outside of that enablement that we need to do. And that is really um, continuing to drive the diversification in this particular area of technology. Uh, when we drive diversity in technology, so diversity of age, ethnicity, race, gender, uh, sexual orientation, et cetera, having those voices and those experiences uh, from that diverse set of engineers in the room, when the decisions are being made as to you know what is going to be, let's say, the default language for a particular application, uh, or the default uh, maybe graphic skin tone setting for a particular application, having a diverse set of engineers in that conversation is the fu- is the way I truly believe we can ensure that all demographics are included. So by putting a diverse cohort of individuals, into the design process, the software uh, development lifecycle, we can help better enable that inclusivity that we are looking for in terms of uh, the ways that we design out these these uh, artificial intelligence systems.
1: Yeah. Just throughout your own, you know, we started kind of by talking about you're here today because of, of an internship, really. That was your sort of the 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 moment that brought you down this path. Um, and of course, with internships comes mentorship. What impact has mentorship had on your career? And I guess particularly as a woman in tech.
0: Mm, that, this is a question that I'm asked a lot. And I, I love this question because mentorship, I believe, has, has given me such a great understanding of the, the unspoken nuances of the corporate world, uh, and then even even more specifically the unspoken nuances of the technology sector. And so making the transition from uh, a university and more academic uh, academically focused uh, career over to technology and, and senior leadership, I did not have that understanding, that built up understanding of uh, those unspoken nuances um, of how to navigate the space. Uh, and to your point, specifically as a woman, uh, as a woman of color. And so mentors, mentors, my mentors really helped me, uh, I would say, fast track my understanding of all of the smaller but extremely valuable points uh, of reference that i did not have um, as a uh, you know someone new in their career just starting out in a in a particular industry um and and also it that mentorship ship helped me to build up my confidence which i think is absolutely essential uh as a woman in technology having a level of confidence about the not only the knowledge, uh, but also the your ability to think critically about different scenarios, uh, whether it's from a leadership aspect or a development aspect, I think is absolutely critical to uh, success and to the ability to uh, retain uh, not only employment, but also to move up the corporate ladder, uh, to move into the C-suite. So I think that a focus on, Having a mentor really does help you from a confidence perspective. It's it's helped me um, quite often in my career to have my mentors as a sounding board about different uh, business challenges that I was facing uh, or, or even just uh, management uh, challenges that I was facing in relation to being a people manager uh, within uh, the technology sector, which is a a, a very um, nuanced uh, area to be in. It, so I I believe that mentorship helps us in so many different ways, uh, particularly if you are within an underrepresented demographic within the technology sector.
1: And are you a mentor to anyone or in the future, is it important to you to become somebody's mentor?
0: Oh, yes, absolutely. So I've, I've been a mentor to uh, several uh, new, new I would say, young professionals who are just starting out in the technology sector. And it, it is something I'm very passionate about because I do uh I would say quite a bit of my success is built on that foundation of uh, the fact that I was a mentee as I moved through my career. So, uh, yes, I do mentor and I, uh, I do plan on continuing to, to mentor and continuing to uh, speak about the relevance of mentorship specifically for uh, women in STEM fields
1: the way you speak about mentorship and your team, et cetera, I think, you know, you come across like a, a great team leader. And one of those things about being a great team leader is being able to, as we mentioned earlier, tell a compelling story about the work that your team is doing. So any any tips for us? It's a great, it's a great skill to have.
0: Yes. So telling a compelling story is also, I believe, a, a key to the success that I've had thus far in my career. And it, it really starts with, Clearly defining the business problem you are trying to solve, clearly defining the stakeholders uh, that are that will be involved will be key players uh, in the the way that you actually transition a, a particular problem into a solution, and then also really identifying what are the ways that we can define success, and these should be tangible. Uh, metrics that you can measure and that you can present to your senior leaders, to your executive sponsorship, in relation to the work that your team is doing. So, a, a lot of the time, I find as technologists, we put our heads down and we come up with a, an incredible solution, and quite often, it's lost in translation. The value that that solution provides back to the business. So, it's it's very important to define out the ways that you can communicate, uh, what the value, the value your team is delivering. And also really to find out how you can, uh, better serve your stakeholders. This is a big piece as well, bringing the stakeholder along on the journey, uh, rather than having kind of heads down and, and so focused on the, the technological solution building that empathy for your business stakeholder in relation to the pain point that you are uh, attempting to automate, that goes a long way also in building that compelling story because your stakeholder then has um, a key, you have their buy-in and they become really an advocate for the work that you and your team are doing.
1: No, excellent. Yeah, excellent answer and excellent advice. Um, final question, and thank you so much for the time and the, uh, you've given us and the story you've told ex- expertly. Um, but final question: When I have somebody as knowledgeable and as passionate about technology as yourself on the podcast, we do like to look into a little bit of the what's exciting you about the future of, of technology. One of the questions that did come in that maybe you'd like to touch on uh, finally is is your thoughts on on quantum computers, next generation technologies like quantum computers? Is this one of the, the big things that you're watching at the moment and excited about?
0: Mm, yes, um, but there are some challenges there. So it, for, for uh, anyone who's listening, just in terms of quantum computers, it's really, you could think of it as a machine that is relying on the properties of quantum physics. And this is specifically in relation to the way that the computer stores data and how it performs uh, from a, from a uh, I'll say, computational perspective. And so the way that quantum uh, computers perform is drastically accelerated uh, by the fact that it, it really is leveraging um, a, more of a, a physics-based approach to the storage of data, right, and and performance capacity, and we've been starting to become more excited about this because what it means is that we can we can basically have more computing power on surface areas that um, are as small as let's say uh, an atom, which we would never be able to to do with uh, tr- traditional uh, microchips. Now the challenge. Um, We have very powerful, very powerful quantum computers today, and we have quantum computers that have increased processing capacity, but they also have very high error rates, Um, and so there is a fundamental challenge that we're still facing, which is, okay, we've drastically increased the processing capacity. We've drastically increased our ability to store data um, and to actually have computers running on um, you know surface surfaces that are uh, just undetectable to the human eye. but the but the, outputs are not reliable, or I'll say they're not as reliable as we'd like them to be. And so the question then becomes, how do we um, continuously improve these computers so that they can become more reliable and then At that point, I do believe there would be um, even greater excitement about the potential of of quantum computers um, throughout our our lives, just in terms of how we incorporate them, um, even from a manufacturing perspective yeah
1: as they say watch this space sydney madison prescott head of global head of intelligent automation at spotify it's been really fascinating uh, speaking with you thank you so much for giving us the time to chat to us here on on telus international studios today
0: absolutely it was truly a pleasure
1: What an interesting person to have on this episode of TELUS International Studios. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Uh, Thanks to Sydney Madison Prescott for taking the time to join us today. Thanks to you for listening. As ever, we will be back very soon with another episode of TELUS International Studios. Please do check out previous episodes. There are some real gems in there. And again, if you are enjoying the series, if you like what you hear, please hit follow on Spotify or subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Hope you can join us next time.